Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Thursday, June the 22nd, and welcome to our commentary. Well, the, the big story that is just coming through here in the last hour or so is that uh, our worst fears have been realized about this submarine. Uh, it looks very likely like it exploded or something happened uh, down uh, very deep in the ocean and that all five members of the crew uh, were lost. Uh, terrible news. But that is apparently what happened. So our, obviously, our prayers and our sympathies with their families. And man, what a what a terrible thing that turned out to be. They all went down there looking for the, the Titanic, and unfortunately, they met uh, terrible, terrible fortune. Well, I'm going to be talking a little bit today about uh, the Pope and uh, the communist uh, leader of Cuba, uh, the so-called president of Cuba, Miguel Diaz-Canel, who went to the Vatican to meet with the Pope, and there's the Pope and the dictator of Cuba and his wife. Apparently, their son came on this trip, too. And there you have this uh, photo of the Pope and, uh, I guess, the the delegation from Cuba uh, standing there and being treated as if this is a great democratic country, uh, a, a great country like uh, like Cuba, you know, there uh, with the Pope. And I'm very disappointed with the Pope. I understand, I understand that Pope Francis is not just the Pope, he's also the head of state. He's the head of the Vatican. And therefore, you know, he meets dignitaries or leaders of other countries who go there. I understand that. I understand that. But there's a way to meet people, and there's a way not to meet people. And if you're going to give the, the dictator of Cuba this kind of credibility and attention when you are welcoming him in, in a delegation like this, and you know he looks like the democratically elected leader of a country that respects religion, uh, when in fact he was never elected, Cuba has never res- respected uh, religion, Uh, I can attest to that because I was a boy in Cuba when the Catholic schools were closed. So I I know what I'm talking about. And over the years, over the years, Cuba was not friendly to the Catholic Church or to the church, period. And many Cubans had to hide and, and look for private ways of living their faith. So when I see a picture of the Pope welcoming the dictator of Cuba and giving him that kind of credibility, that kind of attention and credibility, uh, it makes me angry. It makes me angry. Now, I understand, again, I, I'm not naive. I understand that the Pope is the head of the Vatican. And you could say, well, he was paying a visit to the state of the Vatican. But look, he's the, the Pope. And uh, for most people, he's the head of the Catholic Church. 
and he should show a little bit more better judgment, if I may say, and who he sees or doesn't see. He didn't have to give the leader of Cuba this kind of attention and credibility. He could have easily said, look, let's have a meeting. Welcome to the Vatican. Uh, let's talk. But not not this way, where he was give, being given a the kind of welcome that you would expect the president, let's say, of the United States or of another country, uh, a democratically elected president, that is, of another country. So I'm very disappointed, very disappointed with Pope Francis. I don't know what he was thinking. Now, some people would argue and say that, you know, he was hoping to use this opportunity maybe to persuade uh, the communist dictator of Cuba to maybe change and, and start being uh, a little different. Look, that's been done before. It's been tried before. Castro, both Castros, uh, Fidel and Raul met with the Pope and nothing changed. Nothing changed because they're not going to change unless they're forced to change. So I'm very, very disappointed, very disappointed with the Pope. And uh, I don't know what else to say other than that. Very disappointed. I mean, you know, I, I know people say, well, the Pope is not supposed to be political. Well, okay, he's not supposed to be political. But he knows, he knows uh, how religious people were treated in Cuba. He knows that, or he should know that. And so I'm very disappointed, very disappointed with Pope uh, Francis and the way, if you look at that picture, the picture makes me, makes you sick. Uh, if you're not familiar with the picture I'm talking about, go over to the Babalu blog, and they have the picture right there, and it's been around in other media places. Uh, I mean, this picture of the Pope surrounded by this delegation from Cuba, it's it's very sick. That's all I can tell you. It's very sick. Very sick. Taking into consideration the political prisoners of Cuba, the deprivation of human rights in Cuba, just overall, the history of this regime, it is very sick to see the Pope give that government the kind of, the kind of credibility that a Pope would give someone uh, when, he meets, uh, when he meets with them. Well, the big story in the country, I'm sure you've read all kinds of articles, and I've got, I've got one coming out Friday morning about Hunter Biden. Look, I, I think a lot of people are, are looking at this Hunter Biden plea or whatever it was called, and maybe, maybe in, in normal times, maybe in regular times, uh, something like this would not have been, would, people would not have reacted the way to it they're reacting. But I think there's a sense in the country, there's many people in the country who feel that there's a double standard of justice, you know, one justice this way and one justice the other way. And, you know, when you look at somebody like Professor Jonathan Turley, who is critical of this plea that Hunter Biden uh, got from the Justice Department, they're looking at it and saying, you know, this is crazy. They didn't try him for this. They didn't try him for that. And then the other question, too, that a lot of people are asking, why did it take five years to get to this point? How does it take five years to look at a case that is basically a tax case? If you're looking at taxes, that should be fairly easy to figure out. You paid taxes. You didn't. You put up evidence. I mean, uh, it shouldn't take all this time. So a lot of disappointment, a lot of disappointment with this plea that uh, Hunter Biden got, a lot of people, again, believing, believing that there are two standards of justice. And man, when you look at the way Hillary Clinton was treated, when you look at the way they're going after President Trump for his documents, uh, when you look at the investigation into Joe Biden and his documents, I mean, there's supposed to be an investigation on, on, underway for Joe Biden, but nobody has heard anything about it. There have been no leaks to the media. I'm sure you remember 
uh, when Trump was being investigated, that every other day there was a report in the media based on sources familiar with the situation. Stuff like that has not happened on the Joe Biden investigation. And even the guy who is doing the investigation, nobody's seen him. Nobody has seen this guy. He hasn't, you know, they, they don't even have a picture of this guy showing up for work in the morning. So, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of cynicism out there, I guess, about justice. And this is something that the next president of the United States is going to have to tackle very hard. Because when you lose, when you lose that sense that justice is, is balanced and fair, country can fall apart very, very quickly, very, very quickly when people don't feel that they're being treated. Uh, correctly, or they feel that you're treated based on what last name you have. That's bad for the country. That is poisonous, absolutely poisonous for uh, for the country. I've got a post over at the Amer- American Thinker today, Thursday morning, talking about the so-called equity agenda. You may remember that President Biden signed an executive order or created a department that was supposed to do some equity agenda by uh, treating some races favorably or giving people preferential treatment. Well, a judge in Texas has brought it to an end, saying that we do not discriminate in this country on the base of race. And I am very happy, very happy that the judge stood up and said that. And by the way, the article that I wrote, I quote uh, the late uh, Martin Luther King when he once said, you know, judge my kids on the basis of their character, not the color of their skin. And I always thought for years that was the standard. That was the standard. We judge people on the basis of their character and who they are, not the color of their skin. But this uh, equity agenda uh, or so signed uh, by President Carter, I mean, President Biden met uh, its end in the hands of a judge. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We shouldn't have programs. We shouldn't have things in this country that favor people based on race. That's not what the, the United States is about. So that's a big victory for common sense. And a big victory for the words of Martin Luther King. By the way, it's going to be 60 years in August that Martin Luther King gave that speech in Washington, the I Have a Dream speech, that included that line that I just mentioned about, you know, you want my, he said, I want my sons, I want my children to be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Well, once, in a, once upon a time, the Democratic Party used to believe that. But now, unfortunately, everything is about equity and everything is about you know, woke and everything else, and it's killing the country. Glad to see that a judge brought this one uh, to an end. Well, on this day in 1941, Joe DiMaggio got number 35 on his way to 56, the amazing hitting streak that he put together that uh, summer of 1941. And by this time, by the the time he got to 35, the whole country was caught up in the streak uh, because it was such an unusual thing. And there's all kinds of stories about people across the country who would wake up in the morning, go to the, you know, the coffee shop or whatever and buy a newspaper just to see what DiMaggio had done the night before. So the whole country got caught up in it. And today, 1941, he made it to number 35. It would go on, of course, to 56. Uh, In my opinion, the single most difficult record uh, in Major League Baseball. I just cannot think. I mean, there's a lot of difficult records in Major League Baseball to break. But I think this one is by far the most difficult because it's based on consistency. It's based on somebody going out there 56 games in a row and getting a base hit. That is unbelievable. And the best evidence of what I just said 
is that number two on that list, you got 56, and number two is Pete Rose, and he's at 44. And there is a big difference between 44 and 56. I mean, that's 12 games. That's a big difference. Uh, so we remember, remember Joe DiMaggio on this day in 1941 on his way to that incredible number of 56. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Cantu in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.